Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you how managing your stress levels is key to managing blood sugar variability. The fascinating results of my personal experiment with a continuous blood glucose monitor, how blood sugar variability impacts the immune system and simple tips that you can use to manage blood sugar and optimize your health and longevity. Welcome to today's episode of the High Performance Health Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Foster, and I'm really excited to have you here listening. And I do hope that you and your family and friends are all staying well in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Based on feedback that I've had from a number of listeners, I've decided to do a few more solo episodes interspersed between the interviews that I've been doing so that I can share with you some of the things I've been working on recently and also the content that I've been putting together for the book that I'm writing on optimizing how health and longevity. And so this can be um, your way of really getting access first to the content that I'm producing and give you practical tips that you can use to improve your health and your longevity and your performance in work and in life. So in today's episode, I want to share with you the results that I've had in tracking my blood sugar with a continuous blood glucose monitor for the last two weeks and also explain to you why it's important to manage your blood sugar. Understanding your blood sugar response to food and lifestyle triggers is really important because we know that high blood sugar is one of the main factors in many of the chronic diseases that we're seeing in modern times. It also contributes to inflammation in the body, which we know is also a risk factor in itself for things like heart disease, diabetes, cancer and dementia. And blood sugar control is particularly topical at the moment in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Keeping blood sugar stable and inflammation low is also really important for people with diabetes who have that already. Um, It's been shown that um, people with diabetes are at an increased risk of infections, including for flu and related complications such as secondary infections um, and things like bacterial pneumonia. Diabetes patients also seem to have an impaired immune response to infections, both in relation to cytokine profile and also to changes in immune responses, including T cells and macrophage activation. And in this episode, I'll I'll be explaining how blood sugar variability impacts immune function. Now, when I was in my 20s, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and insulin sensitivity. And so at that stage, it was important to me to get a handle on my blood sugar and to get it under control. And that was actually one of the main factors that enabled me to fall pregnant naturally with each of my three children. And since then, I've always taken care to keep my blood sugar stable. And now with this continuous blood glucose monitor, it's been giving me some really, really good information I want to share with you on the types of things that affect blood sugar variability. The device that I'm using is the Freestyle Libra and it's super simple. Um, It just goes on the um, back of your arm and you can actually monitor it through an app on your phone. And what's been really interesting in tracking with the Freestyle Libra um, device is not just the effects of the food that I'm seeing on my blood glucose levels, but also the effects of cortisol. 
Now, when eating food, this naturally triggers a cortisol response, which is a stress hormone, and this increases blood sugar and can suppress your immune system. Fat doesn't seem to raise cortisol as much as protein or carbohydrates. Obviously, fast-burning carbohydrates raise it much more, raise blood sugar much more quickly. But keeping cortisol low is important, not just for body composition, um, but also making sure that you're getting in the correct cycle of cortisol rising in the morning and then lowering at night to make sure that you're producing enough melatonin and enhancing the quality of your sleep. So cortisol and melatonin actually have an inverse relationship. And so melatonin encourages you to fall asleep and to stay asleep, but that's only produced in adequate amounts in the absence of high cortisol. So this is one of the main reasons that if you're not relaxed, um, you wouldn't be able to, afford, uh, to fall asleep easily or in fact to stay asleep. But cortisol isn't just uh, a stress hormone, it's also our waking up hormone that promotes energy and alertness. So it's naturally higher in the morning. And cortisol powers up your morning by helping you to break down various fuels that are available. Now in the morning, assuming that you haven't been up during the middle of the night gorging on ice cream or something like that, then your insulin levels are likely to be pretty low after an overnight fast. And so you'll primarily be burning fat as a fuel. And if you engage in morning physical activity, then this this is an opportunity to really take advantage of this fat burning mode and actually burn even more fat. Now, when measuring my own blood glucose levels over the last few weeks, what I've noticed is that on days of higher stress, my blood sugar levels were much higher, um, regardless of what I was eating and rising to as high as 7.7 .7 millimoles per litre after a meal. Now, why is this? This is because stress leads to the elevation of cortisol and cortisol raises blood sugar. And there's an ancestral reason for this. When stressed, the body prepares itself by ensuring that enough sugar or energy is available for you to deal with that stress response. So if you think about it, if you are faced with the threat of a saber-toothed tiger, the body will release glucose into the blood to power the muscles to, um, to fight or to flee. As part of that stress response, glucagon and epinephrine, so that's adrenaline levels rise, and more glucose is released from the liver. And at the same time, growth hormone and cortisol levels rise, which causes the body tissues, both muscle and fat, to be less sensitive to insulin. And as a result, more glucose is available in the bloodstream. Now, if the threat is not real, but simply a stressful situation that you're encountering at work or at home, then you don't need that excess glucose to power your muscles. You might most likely be sitting at your desk, quietly stressing out about something. And in this situation, what can happen is you've got excess levels of blood glucose circulating. And we know that this can form, um, cause inflammation, but also the body will take that glucose and combine it with water to form triglycerides and store it in the form of adipose tissue or effectively body fat. And this is likely to be further compounded if you've not been exercising as the muscle cells then are already going to be full of glycogen. And glucose can only be stored long-term as glycogen in muscle cells and the liver, but this is only in limited amounts. So fully stopped, you have around 10 grams of glycogen per kilo of muscle tissue and about 40 to 45 grams of liver glycogen. So this would be generally enough to fuel around a two hour run, depending on your pace. The harder you pushed, um, the faster you would burn through those stores. And so in a, in a woman of say 135 pounds, that would be around 615 grams of stored glycogen. But when muscle and liver glycogen levels are full, um, then this excess glucose gets converted into body fat.
And as Max Lugavere states in his book, Genius Life, the excess cortisol combined with the elevated insulin from the carbohydrates eats away at our lean body mass and causes us to store fat. So this is why you can see that chronically stressed out people tend to be what we call skinny fat. High stress levels cause fat to be stored around the abdominal area and that gives you the dangerous visceral fat in the belly that creates the kind of apple shape that we so commonly see in people. And this type of, um, of fat is inflammatory and it wraps around your vital organs and increases your risk of chronic diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, and also an element of shrinkage in the brain. Now, exercising in the morning in a fasted state helps to make the most of the fat burning stage that you have when you wake up. So most people, particularly if they've had that overnight fast, will wake up in a mild state of ketosis. And ketones are a byproduct of fat metabolism and they're a great source of fuel for the brain. So to make the most of that fat burning state, when you wake up, you can do some gentle exercise for 25 to 30 minutes. It's thought that doing high intensity exercise may actually just seek to raise cortisol much higher and lead to higher levels of stress because of the cortisol awakening response. Cortisol is already a bit higher in the morning to get us up and going. And it's the activity of the ketones that are available in the morning that might explain why you feel a greater sense of clarity and focus in the morning. And so after you've done some gentle exercise by focusing on eating foods that contain healthy fats, if you're someone that eats breakfast, can help to maintain that clarity throughout the morning without unduly raising blood glucose or insulin levels. And that's one of the main reasons that something like a bulletproof coffee works really well, where you mix the coffee with MCT oil and or a bit of grass-fed butter. And that's a popular choice for many people that are looking to enhance their cognitive function and also, importantly, maintain their fat-burning capabilities and keep blood glucose low. One of the key ways that you can keep your body in a fat burning mode is to avoid eating a diet that's high in carbohydrates and certainly to avoid refined sugars, which are also pro-inflammatory. Um, a small amount of fructose, if it's in the form of fruit, is okay. Um, but just be aware that fructose, particularly things like high fructose corn syrup, has been shown to raise triglycerides. So I generally suggest that you have no more than about two pieces of fruit each day and tend, it's better to focus on lower carbohydrate polyphenol rich fruits such as berries and avocados and that will help to balance out blood sugar much more. Processed sugar is actually a combination of fructose and glucose, and it's been shown to trigger the same reward centers in the brain as cocaine. And there's also evidence that consuming a lot of sugar can de decrease the number of dopamine receptors in the brain, which can make it harder for you to feel the energy and pleasure from dopamine. And this is called dopamine resistance, and it's basically the same thing that happens to drug addicts. Now you may have, if, you, if you're someone that's eaten a lot of processed sugar at any point, then you may have experienced the high that you get from eating that refined sugar and then also the sugar crash that ensues afterwards. And this is because after you eat sugar, it's not just your energy that crashes, but also your blood sugar levels as well. When you're eating sugar, your blood glucose naturally rises and this causes the pancreas to secrete insulin. But what often happens is the pancreas releases larger amounts of insulin than you actually need, and then that can cause your blood sugar to drop dramatically. And this results in the famous um, sugar crash that you experience, and then you can get things like brain fog, sluggishness, and then unfortunately, more food cravings. Now, when blood sugar rises and insulin is released, this actually triggers the body to store fat instead of burning it. 
and this is because insulin regulates blood sugar levels when moving glucose into fat cells when they're combined where they're combined with water and then stored as saturated fat now one of the best ways to increase insulin sensitivity is actually through regular exercise exercise has been shown to help move sugar into the muscles for, for storage and it also promotes an immediate increase in insulin sensitivity which can last anywhere between two hours and 48 hours depending on the type of exercise so in one study they found that 60 minutes of stationary cycling at a moderate intensity increased insulin sensitivity for 48 hours among the healthy volunteers that were tested and resistance training has also been shown to help increase insulin sensitivity. Um, many studies have found increased insulin sensitivity among men and women with or without diabetes. And then there was a study as well of overweight men, um, some with and some without diabetes, and it was found that when the participants performed resistance training over a three-month period, their insulin sensitivity increased independent of other factors like weight loss. And so the science shows that both aerobic and resistance training increases insulin sensitivity, but by combining both in your routine appears to be the most effective. So making sure that you're including two to three sessions of both resistance training and moderate cardiovascular training is a good way to enhance that insulin sensitivity. And if you really want to enhance insulin sensitivity while saving time, then doing high intensity interval training is a really effective way to do this. In a study of men and women, brief high intensity exercise was shown to enhance insulin sensitivity for up to three days. The study showed that two weeks of sprint interval training increased insulin sensitivity for up to three days and 12 weeks of near maximal interval, interval running for a total exercise time of around 40 minutes per week, improved blood glucose to a similar extent as running at 65% of VO2 max for 150 minutes per week. So this really shows you that high intensity exercise is probably the most time efficient way to improve insulin sensitivity. And one thing that's been really interesting to, to me to see with my continuous blood glucose monitor is the effect that stress, as I've mentioned, has on blood sugar levels. And that's regardless of what I've been eating. So what I noticed on um, a couple of occasions was the effect of poor night's sleep. And on one um, occasion, I can recall a night where my daughter woke up and she was having nightmares. She came into bed with us and it was a particularly restless night when I didn't sleep well. And when I woke up in the morning and tracked my blood sugar, I, I noticed that my fasting blood glucose that morning was significantly higher. And generally speaking, what I've, I've observed is that my fasting glucose upon waking has been anywhere between 4.4 and 4.8 millimoles per litre. But after a disrupted night, it actually went up to 5.7. And while that's still not that high, it highlights the difference in reading between a good night's sleep and a restless one. And what was interesting is that my readings after food were also higher over the course of the next day, and that was without increasing things like carbohydrates. We also know that the immune system doesn't function as well when we're under stress. So the immune system is a collection of billions of cells that travel through the bloodstream, and they move in and out of tissues and organs, defending the body against foreign bodies, these antigens such as bacteria, virus, and cancerous cells. And there are two main types of immune cells in terms of white blood cells. These are lymphocytes and phagocytes. And in the lymphocytes, we have B cells, which essentially produce antibodies that are released into the fluid surrounding the body's cell to destroy the invading viruses and bacteria. And then we also have T cells. And if the invader gets inside a cell, then the T cells lock onto the infected cell and multiply and destroy it. 
When we're stressed out, the immune system's ability to fight off infections is reduced, and so we're much more vulnerable to infections. And the stress hormone corticosteroid can suppress the effectiveness of the immune system and lower the number of lymphocytes. And then stress can also have an indirect effect on the immune system. So for example, if the person starts to use unhealthy behavioral coping strategies to reduce their stress, so things like drinking and smoking. And as I saw with my continuous blood glucose monitor, my blood sugar increased when I was under stress. But what was also really interesting is that when I engaged in practices to designed to induce more of a relaxation response, I quickly saw a lowering in my blood glucose levels. So I'd had a particularly stressful day trying to homeschool my um, three children while running my business in the wake of this quarantine. And one evening after a particularly stressful day, I was putting my children to bed and we were engaging in our usual practice of gratitude, where we focus on at least one to, two, one to three things that we're grateful for that day. And interestingly, after practicing this with my children and talking about how much I loved them and feeling that relaxation response, when I then looked at my blood glucose monitor readings, I noticed that they'd lowered down, lowered back down, sorry, pretty quickly. And they were actually then, interestingly, within the fasting range. Um, another thing I noticed was that after a disrupted night's sleep, when I had a morning glucose that was a bit higher of 5.5, following a 20-minute meditation session, my fasting glucose lowered down to 4.9. And that was absolutely fascinating because obviously the science backs this up, but then to actually see that response in real time and to see it happen so quickly was really, really interesting. And so what I'm doing at the moment is continuing to monitor my blood glucose readings for the next 14 days, following which I think I'm going to have some even more interesting data, um, as particularly for women, their blood glucose levels and insulin sensitivity has been shown to vary depending on where they are in the menstrual cycle. So what can you take away from all of this? What I'd like you to take away is that managing our stress levels and also our blood glucose levels is really key to our health and longevity, both in business and in life. And it really affects our productivity and performance as well. Our health is the very foundation of our performance. So by eating a predominantly plant-based diet with a rainbow of fruit and vegetables that's high in polyphenols and antioxidants, some healthy fats from things like olive oil, omega-3s from oily fish, nuts and seeds, and also some protein from things like grass-fed, organic pasture-raised meat and wild fish is one of the healthiest ways to keep your blood sugar levels at a, at a good lower level. But what's also important important is, and as my own readings have shown, is to manage your stress levels. And this is a direct impact um, that's been shown in the scientific literature, but also as I've mentioned by my own readings. But what's really exciting about this is the fact that it's within your control, because there's plenty that you can do to help to lower your stress levels, even in these stressful times. So for example, getting outside and going for a walk in nature has been shown to dramatically reduce stress levels, as has connecting with family and friends. It may be that at the moment you can only do that over things like FaceTime or the telephone, but we know that this social connection um, has a big impact in longevity. And we know that from the blue zones, which are those countries that have the highest number of centenarians. And then engaging in practices like meditation and breath work and gratitude also significantly lower cortisol. And I saw that firsthand with my own blood sugar readings. And your breath really is your superpower. It's the easiest entry route into the parasympathetic nervous system. And just a few minutes of box breathing, um, which is where you breathe in for a count of four, 
and then out for a count of six to eight has been shown to dramatically lower stress levels and also help you feel calmer and more in control. And it's a technique that's used by the Navy SEALs. So it's not just some sort of woo-woo thing, um, but it's something that's used by everyone, even uh, type A personalities like myself. And so in the time of the coronavirus pandemic, when stress levels are high, many people are finding it really difficult to go to sleep with their routines being all over the place. They've got the competing demands of work and homeschooling children. And it's becoming really difficult to, or it can be difficult to distinguish um, between work time and home time with the blurring of those lines. So what I would encourage you to do in this time is to make sure that you're setting aside time for yourself each day and engaging in practices that really help to reduce stress levels. A lot of people I speak to might say they don't feel they can take the time out and go for a 25 or 30 minute walk, feel like that's a bit of a luxury. Whereas in reality, this can actually help to lower your stress and give you enhanced focus and clarity when you come back to work. So you actually end up getting that time back. It can actually make you more productive. And walking has been shown to really get your creative juices flowing and also puts you in a better mood. And then you get the added benefit of access to sunlight and fresh air. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be sharing much more information from the contents of my upcoming book so that you can hear it first on this podcast. I'm also going to be doing a series of live webinars showing you exactly how you can improve your sleep, your stress levels, your recovery, your nutrition and your fitness. And so if you'd like to hear more about those and how you can join the live workshops that I'll be hosting, just go to my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com and enter your email address where you can sign up to receive updates from me and I'll be sharing with you those dates as they become live over the the next few weeks. And if you have any questions or feedback on this episode, please feel free to drop me an email at Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. I do read all of the emails, even though it may take me a bit of time. And so I'll get back to you, even if it takes a few days. If you've enjoyed this episode and other episodes that I'm releasing, then I'd be really grateful if you could leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcast platform provider. This just helps me to get the podcast out to a wider audience so that I can continue to keep bringing you this content. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and I wish you a happy, healthy and fun-filled week. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.